So we've come to the end of another summer uh, season, and we're heading into another annual program, certainly here in the church, and as we've already heard, in and around schools and so on. The summer, it seems to me, is an interesting time. Um, For a lot of us, we get a chance just to step out of a lot of our patterns and our routines. Uh, We maybe work less or differently uh, as we get to use some of our annual leave. Our leisure time, we use differently. Some of the clubs and the activities that we're part of often close down for the summer and just leave us uh, with a wee bit more flexibility. We even dislocate ourselves um, in, in space, so often we're maybe quite committed at home because of our work and our responsibilities, but during the summer we get a chance to go away, uh, whether we go somewhere quite nearby or far away. Um, and even it seems to me our relationships can operate on a different footing. So, for example, a husband and a wife who have a carefully structured world where the husband works there and the wife works there and the children are off at school are suddenly all thrown together uh, for a few weeks and that's glorious, isn't it? Um, It's glorious and it can be challenging and demanding. The summer has that, uh, for me anyway, that sense of unsettling me probably happens every summer really after 10 months or so in the, the rhythm and the routine suddenly everything's tilted again and, and some of the, the old questions come to the fore what happened there in this past year how did that go what lies ahead how's my family turning out what am I doing with my life Who am I? It's that question right there. The who am I question. If the the thinkers and the writers are are right about this, then we're more troubled by that question probably than most of our forefathers ever were. Postmoderns at the beginning of a, a third millennium. You see, identity used to be quite straightforward. It was very fixed in things like family, class, where a person lived, career. It used to be, for example, that our identity uh, gave people a clear sense, sorry, our nationality gave people a clear sense of identity. Uh, I, I have a sense living in this part of East Belfast and in a community like this that, that that's a, a slightly confused question for a lot of us. We don't know whether we're British, whether we're Irish, whether we're Northern Irish, or what we are. It used to be that religion or denomination was a big part of a a person's identity, but I have a sense that that doesn't feel quite as strong anymore. So I, I don't, for example, when I meet younger people who are maybe joining the church. It's not the case that they they say to me, the first thing they say is they introduce themselves, hi, I'm Sam, I'm a Presbyterian. You're smiling. In the old days, that would have been common. That would have been a big part of your identity. I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a Baptist. Not anymore. People used to get an awful lot of their identity in their career Um, If the research I've read this week is anything close to right, um, they reckon that the average person graduating at the moment will change job about 11 times uh, before they finish their working life. 
And there's a phrase here that I didn't quite understand, but some of you might. You'll have changed your entire, you'll have relearned your entire skill base three times over. Yeah, some of you know what that means. Good. So career, we're not quite as, as stable in our sense of our identity and our career. Even gender, which was once one of those clearest of all markers, it's, it's not quite so clear anymore. Once you were either a man or a woman, and now people are claiming various sexual identities, uh, such as bisexual, asexual, or non-binary, wh- whatever. So identity, something which used to feel relatively fixed, it seems to have become a much more fluid thing than it ever was. And as these boundaries increasingly become blurred, it's, it's a source of anxiety for a lot of people in a way that it would never have been in the past. Uh, there's a, an American psychologist, Eric Erickson, who's famous for coining the term identity crisis. Whenever he first used that idea, he was talking mostly about teenagers and that period in their lives where they're much less sure of who they are than they were maybe as a child, and they will someday be uh, as an adult. Nowadays, with the growth of social media, with that never-ending pressure to project the perfect online identity, it seems to me that it's not just teenagers who suffer uh, identity crises. Increasing numbers of us um, seem to suffer continual identity crises. We struggle to find an adequate answer to this question. Who am I? Over the summer here in Kirkpatrick Memorial, we've uh, been running a series called Cross Talk. In the first couple of weeks of that series, we looked at the cross of Jesus Christ to see there the wonderful lengths that Jesus went to uh, to rescue us and to bring us back for, to God. And then we spent many weeks looking through the cross at various uh, aspects of life issues, such as power and ambition, suffering and failure, reconciliation, and even life itself. This morning, we're going to do this one last time. We're going to look through the cross, and this time we're going to ask a question. What does the cross have to say about identity, about who I am? Looking back on this series, I see a bit of a pattern. We've quite often, nearly every week, went back somewhere along the line to the teaching of Paul, and we're going to do that for a few moments this morning. Paul has this wonderful ability to look at the whole of life and see it all through the cross, and it's no different with this question of identity. Galatians 2 and 20, if you have that open before you, Let's have a quick look at the Galatians passage. He's writing to Christians scattered in Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And Paul tells them about a new identity that he's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. Chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In some way, Paul has been crucified with Christ. 
And the person that now lives in his body is no longer the old Paul, but a new person, a new Christ-filled person. Do you see what he's saying? Paul says that the cross of Jesus Christ isn't a historical event over there. It's not something that's distant in space and time. He's saying it's something that I carry in me. He says, I've partnered in a very profound way with Christ on the cross. I've been crucified with him. The old me, it's as dead as Jesus Christ was that Good Friday evening. The old me is gone, dead and buried. God has raised up a new me with the spirit of Jesus in me. It's powerful stuff, what Paul says. How can he say that? How, what's going on in his head that allows him to speak in these terms? Well, it seems to me that Paul's responding to the saving work of Jesus Christ that we thought about in the first two weeks of our series. We said then, if you remember, or, or you would maybe know this, if you know a little of the theology around Jesus' death, his life and his death. We said that when Jesus came among us, he came to identify with us. He came to live a human life like us, and he came to, die, to identify with us in our death, to take our sins on himself. We've always said that Jesus Christ identifies with us. But what Paul does here is he says, and I identify with Jesus Christ. Christ calls us to identify with him, but Paul says, I identify with Christ. I've been crucified with him. And that's, that's really struck me uh, as I've been in these texts this week. Because sometimes we share the gospel like this. We'll say that Jesus died so that we might live Jesus died so that we can go free. Both of those things are f true. I use those phrases often, I'm sure. But they're, they're not the full story. Not if Paul's right. If we do that, we distance ourselves. We say, Jesus, yes, you died on the cross over there. Thanks for doing that. But it's not got a whole lot to do with me. That's not how Paul sees it, or the New Testament writers. What is it Peter says in the second chapter of his first letter? Speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Do you see what Peter's saying? He's not saying so much Jesus died that we might live. He's saying Jesus died that we might die. Two sins. What is it Paul says in Philippians 3? It's a passage Richie preached for us a few weeks ago in our Surprised by Joy series. Paul says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, and to participate in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Do you see what Paul is saying? 
He's saying, I want to know Christ and I want to know him so intimately and so fully that I want the same power that raised him from the dead to be alive and at work in me. I'm willing to die to who I am to see that power raise a new me. In in these passages and actually in others like it, we have the New Testament writers, these early disciples of Jesus, understanding that they're called to identify with Christ in his sufferings and in his death, to be crucified with Christ, as Paul puts it. So who am I? What's my identity? Well, the New Testament answer is quite staggering. The answer is, yes, I am Christoph Ebbinghaus, the person who has lived that life, had those experiences, carries that CV, is in those relationships. Yes, in a sense, that's who I am. But in another sense, I've died to all of that. That I might be raised to a new, profound identity in Jesus Christ. This understanding of our identity in Christ isn't something that ended with the New Testament uh, writers. It's how the early Christians at their best always understood themselves. Maybe you've heard of Polycarp. He was the Bishop of Smyrna, executed under the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius in AD 155. During his trial, they were pushing him as to his identity, and the, the old man said these incredibly Uh, brave words. If you pretend not to know who I am, I'll tell you plainly, I am a Christian. Here's a man entirely clear of his identity. It's not that he's primarily a citizen of Smyrna. It's not even that he's a bishop in the church. It's that he's in Christ. And he'll say that even when it'll cost him his very life. Folks, this, this question of identity is an important one. Who am I? Christian people don't look for their identity in the places that the culture tells us to look. The culture increasingly invites you to, to look inside, look inside deeper to find the true you, then you will know who you are. The culture told us, didn't it tell us a while ago in that pop song, search for the hero inside yourself. We have found a hero. And he's outside of ourselves. We believe that we need to look to Jesus Christ to find our true identity. He's the one who wants to transform us into his image. He's the one who can make of me a self-sacrificial person who loves. He's the one who can get me firing on all cylinders to be the person that God really created me to be. My identity is in him, in Jesus Christ. In that second passage we read this morning, Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae, 
He says, for you died and your life is hidden now with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our true selves isn't hidden somewhere deep inside of ourselves, but outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in a sense, my identity isn't even close to being fully formed. It's only being formed as I find myself in Jesus. And it's being increasingly being revealed as I'm remade in his image. Folks, I want to wrap up this short reflection just now, but let me say this. If the death of Jesus Christ, which we'll celebrate in a moment around this table, if this death is to benefit us, then it'll need to mean a new identity. It'll mean a kind of a death. Not just for Jesus, but for us too. That old self, that way we had of defining ourselves by how our parents treated us or what GCSEs and A-levels and degrees we have or, or what job we hold down or what postcode we live at. All of that must die. And a new Christian self must be born in its place. A Christian, you see, is a person with a new identity, not shaped so much by our past, but by what God's making us into in the future. Not by what we have been, but what we will be in Christ. There's only one appropriate response, and it's one of joy. We sang it in our opening hymn. We said there, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, Who, like me, his praise should sing? Let's come just now and gather around this table where we we remember Jesus and his death and how he shapes a new identity for us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the table of the Lord. He invites all who love him to sit with him and to share in this joyful feast. All who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, from whatever branch of the church you come, you're welcome in his house and at this table. As we prepare our hearts to receive this grace of Jesus Christ, let's affirm our faith together by saying the words of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The words are here on the screen and we'll repeat them together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. As the Lord Jesus took bread, I take these elements of bread and wine to be set apart for this holy use. As he gave thanks, let us offer God our thanksgiving and praise. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you for the wonderful truths of the gospel that we've been reminded of here again today. We thank you that like Paul, many of us have recognized that Jesus loved us and he gave himself for us. He gave his very own lifeblood as he bled and died for our sins on the cross. Lord, we thank you for that reality and we thank you too for what you've been showing us here this morning in your word that Jesus is not alone in the dying, but that he invites us to die along with him. Lord, like Paul, we want to be able to say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Lord, thank you for that glorious truth of the gospel that the death of Jesus Christ means and can mean a death to the old self for each of us and a new life, a new identity in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all your goodness and grace to us and we pray you'd help us receive it here today. Amen. We do this in obedience to Christ's example and appointment. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when, it was, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on us. Jesus, bearer of our sins, have mercy on us. Jesus, redeemer of the world, grant us your peace.